Andy. Uh, I am the pastoral intern here at the Bridge Montrose. I'm not normally the guy who's up here uh, giving the sermon. Um, that's Heath back there running sound today. He's uh, helping me out. Um, but yeah, uh, it's good to see so many faces here. Uh, it's good to be back together as a family from the summer. And if you know this is your first time checking it out, we're glad to have you here. Um, I, this may not be the best strategy, but I have to start by just saying uh, I have to apologize and ask for a lot of grace um, in advance. Uh, I got very little sleep last night in preparation, um, and I think the good thing is that I trust that you know God will speak in spite of me. That's going to be the main thing today, in spite of me. Um, and we're going to be talking about something that's, uh, you know, I guess uh, a very uh, difficult topic for a lot of people, um, racial reconciliation or just racism, really. Um, in, in both in both those uh, things. And so, um, you know, I apologize if, you know, my wording is kind of garbled and, you know, all that. Um, I'm going to try and give a helpful summary at the very end. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm just going to go ahead and start, um, kind of do a quick survey of the room. Uh, how many people uh, went to, like, public school or just did, had their education in America? So, like, majority of the room. Okay. And how many people remember, you know, in, like, when it came to U.S. history covering things like, um, you know, like, uh, uh, colonization, you know, like when um, Europeans first interacted with Native Americans, uh, that sort of thing. Every, every, people remember that, yeah? And, I mean, depending on the textbook you read and the age, of course, for sure, um, it's kind of a different, like, narrative to that um, set of events and just that uh, relationship that has been for, I guess, what, uh, over 400 years, um, actually over 500 years. But, yeah, and so, um, you know, I mean, at least for myself, uh, you know, throughout, as you know, I, I ended up taking like AP US history, if anyone remembers taking AP US history. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, seeing the relationship between, you know, European set colonizers and the indigenous peoples of America, um, you kind of start seeing it in, oh, like it wasn't as great as we'd like to think it was. It kind of had a lot of ugliness to it. Um, you know, and I think on top of that, you know, the, there's, I, in most public schools, I would imagine, you, you would, uh, learn about things like slavery and the Civil War and um, the Civil Rights Movement, all the good things that came out of that, right? Um, and we you know, celebrate MLK Day and, and Black History Month with things like uh, essays and poems and a, a lot of assemblies, I think. Um, and, and those are all awesome things. But I think in retrospect, what I realized was, um, you know, there was kind of this implied, implied uh, attitude of, you know, we fixed all those things. Those are all in the past, uh, those, all these obvious incidences of racism. It's like not a thing anymore. So we can, we live in this blissful society. And if you remember MLK's I Have a Dream speech, there's a point where he says, you know, uh, basically, you know, uh, where minorities, he's referring to his children specifically, but, you know, kind of by extension minorities will, quote, not be judged by the color of their character, or by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Um, that's a pretty, uh, you know, profound quote that he said there. Um, and I think making that a little more personal um, yeah, I, I grew up in Seattle. Uh, I grew up, uh, uh, I'm Korean American, uh, like third generation. Uh, grew up in a, you know, kind of middle class neighborhood. Went to a lot of middle upper class, uh, like schools or like schools in middle upper class neighborhoods. Um, so it uh, had a lot of mainly, predominantly like uh, white peers. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not saying this to get any pity by any means, but, you know, like it, as I was growing up, you know, I got a lot of uh, kind of teasing harassment for my last name. My last name is, my last name is, I'm Andy Dong, so I mean, people can read into that however they want to. Um, uh, you know, and like, I was good at math, so you know, like, that's a thing. Um, and like, having tiger parents, if anyone's heard that phrase too, you know, um, like, those were all true of me, uh, but the way, you know, my peers kind of treated me in light of that, that definitely I mean, you couldn't say that that was uh, what MLK was hoping for. You know, it was very much the opposite of what he was hoping for. Um, you know, and honestly, again, not, not to garner any sympathy, it's just a matter of fact, you know, for a long time, I, I, was, res I was kind of resentful of my ethnicity. Um, I, I wished I was white because I lived in a white, predominantly white society, and I wouldn't have to deal with all this stuff growing up, you know? Um, and, you know, it, 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 I'm thankfully, I'm, this is all, all because of God now, but, you know, I'm grateful for the experience and the identity he's given me as, you know, Asian American man living in, you know, predominantly white country. Um, you know, I'm grateful for that. It's not, it's not a thing that I feel, like, burdened by anymore. Um, but all, all, even still, right, all, all the profound work that's been done by 
uh, amazing people like Martin Luther King, you know, Rosa Parks. You can, you can name so many people that have been strong advocates. There is racism. There is injustice in this world still. Um, and, you know, you, it, on top of that, you might assume, uh, so if you were feeling sorry for me before, you're definitely not going to feel sorry for me after this, but, you know, you might assume that someone like myself being a victim of, of like, racist thoughts, at least, you know, remarks, would have, like, not ha have any of that personally within themselves because they know what it's like, you know? But, you know what, like, it's so scary and tragic uh, when I grew up in a relatively homogenous environment, and then when I came down here to Houston, I attended Rice. It's a very diverse place. For the first time in my life, I had close peers and friends who were black and Latino, Hispanic, you know, many other backgrounds that I had no experience with really prior. It was mostly just assumptions and, you know, kind of hearsay. Um, and, you know, again, like, it's, I'm ashamed of it, but, and thankfully, God has, like, changed my heart and my mind. But, you know, I used to think things like, you know, if people are going to immigrate to the U.S., they need to learn our language. They need to be able to communicate with us. And if they can't, then why are they here? You know, and that's disgusting. I mean, I'm, I'm disgusted at myself for that. Um, and even, even more so, and, you know, it's, it is sad just thinking things like all the, the crime and arrest rates in the black American community. That must be because there's some predisposition in, the, in like, black people to to, to uh, deviance, to crime. And I don't, like, I couldn't say where specifically that comes from. It wasn't like anyone told me that, right? But I think, to me, as, as I look through the lens of the Bible, um, what I see is that uh, there's, there's, everyone has, every human being has a bias. They have um, a partiality. They, sometimes they have a prejudice. They think of others as less than themselves um, for any number of reasons. Um, and it, 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 I mean, at least for me, it makes me wonder why. Like, why is this a thing? Um, and I'm so grateful because, you know, in, in preparation for this sermon especially, but, you know, just like in the years that I've been uh, recently trying to walk with God um, and in community with other people who are trying to walk with God, you know, I really have, I feel like God has made it evident that he speaks into this tragedy, this evil that exists. Um, and he not only speaks about it and tells us why it's there, but he gives us a solution. And so today, I want us to actually look into God's word and see what he has to say about this. Um, and kind of three kind of main goals or kind of things I'm, I'm hoping to accomplish today. One is that, um, that God would give us insight into why humanity, why we're capable of such things, you know, such evil thoughts and deeds. Um, two, um, that God has modeled for us what life-giving reconciliation uh, looks like reconciliation from this evil. Um, and finally, that God has actually given us the ability and the power to cultivate reconciliation in the world around us, um, the world that's so desperate. I mean, you look at headlines, and it's almost always something that's pretty tragic in some way, shape, or form, depending on, you know, it doesn't matter what your ideology is. You can always find something that's um, just going to be really tragic. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the goal today. Um, and again, I pray for grace because I know that everyone comes from a different background with this topic. Um, but I, again, I'm trusting God that through his spirit, he's going to speak through me in spite of me um, and speak in you, soften hearts, soften minds, you know, just bring some challenging thoughts. So um, I'm going to pray real quick and then we're going to uh, just get into the word. God, um, you are, you are glorious, God. You, you give us a picture of what it means uh, to be restored to you, restored in spite of ourselves, God, restored in spite of the evil um, that we're capable of. Um, I just praise you that, um, you're, that through your word you make it clear how, why, um, how and why that you've done this, why, why, that you've reconciled us to yourself, God, um, and that your son is, is a critical part of that. Um, and I pray that uh, you would just speak your truth and nothing else, God, that your truth would come through and that um, every, every soul here, God, would find, um, would find a, a conviction um, and encouragement, God, uh, that we could, as your people, be your hands and feet uh, and just manifest your, your compassion, your love, and your desire for unity, God. Um, so I just thank you so much for this time. Uh, we lift all these things up to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So um, we're going to actually start by reading the, the central passage for today. Um, so if you want to pull up your Bibles, you, you know, phones, physical, should be on the slides behind me. 
Um, we're going to start, we're going to read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. And so, I'm going to take a quick drink of water. <laughs> All right. Um, chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So um, after studying this passage, I kind of identified three core elements that are really relevant to our topic today. Um, And the first is, uh, we find it in verse 17. uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And so this concept, uh, the the old has passed away, I mean, that sounds really vague and generic. um, But I think, so this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, who was, um, you know, very prolific writer in terms of what books are in the Bible now, the New Testament, and he was responsible for overseeing m- many of the early churches, um, as, you know, after, immediately after Jesus ascended to heaven. Um, and so uh, he, it, through several of the epistles, we see this concept of the old, the old man or the old self. Um, and, what, and when he uses that term, what he's referring to is uh, kind of everything within us that is sinful, everything that deviates from God, everything that keeps us from God, um, and that we are born into that, number one, and on, on top of that, even, if, even when we become aware of it, we cannot escape it on our own power. Um, and basically, if, if you go to basically to the very beginning of the Bible, chapter three of, of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we see that Adam and Eve, um, God's first two people, they, they willfully disobey him. Under temptation, they are the ones who disobey God, and God is forced to banish them from paradise. Eden is their paradise. Um, and so we really have to look at what, what is sin and wh- what does it do? Um, why did it force God to banish Adam and Eve? Um, and, and like I said, uh, alluded, alluded to it, sin is any deviation from God's character. Um, and through, through his word, we see the character of God very consistently, that he is uh, in equal measures and in perfect measures. He is he's loving, he is just, he's gracious, he's merciful. Um, he's wise, all these things, right? Things that we, I'm sure, would all aspire to, uh, hopefully all aspire to. Um, and it's when we do the opposite of these things um, and in some way prioritize ourselves or prioritize something other than God and, and, his, and his values that that's where we fall into sin. That's, that's what happened. That was the initial break in the relationship between humanity and God. Um, and, you know, like you can... Like look at it this way: there were before before the, the fall is the name of this, right? The, the the advent of original sin, the introduction of original sin into the world. Before that, there was no wars, there was no disease, there was no um, there was no hate crimes, right? Those were all those were all products of the fall. And so, again, as as I've alluded to earlier, racism is is a, it's 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 a very prominent sin throughout human history. Um, it doesn't just have one face. Um, it is multifaceted, but it is always rooted in sin, um, whether that be pride or prejudice, partiality, ignorance, or hatred. Um, and so, thankfully, I think God does show us examples of what racism looks like um, in, in the Bible. And, he, um, and on top of that, then we can also see in our own context, the world we live in today, how that's still a relevant thing. Um, and so you, we can start at the personal level. I think most people, when they think of racism, actually, really depending on your background, I should say, um, a lot of people will think of racism as like uh, this very individualistic hatred or prejudice, you know, ignorance of some sort. Uh, and so uh, a, an example in the Bible that we see is actually uh, the prophet Jonah and how he um, approaches God's command to go and preach the good news to Nineveh, to to to, to uh, command them to repentance that they might be redeemed to God. Um, and we, we actually, you know, I can't remember when it was, maybe I think it was a year, year and a half ago, we studied the book of Jonah. Um, and, w- and some of the main points that I remember from that is that uh, Jonah, as he's a prophet, so he's the mouthpiece of God for the people of God, to the people of God. 
And so he has, for, for sinful reasons, he has this sense of like superiority. Oh, like we're the chosen ones. Um, God is just for us. Um, I, and on top of that, Nineveh having a very, very negative history with, with Israel of, of a persecution um, and exploitation. Um, and really what it comes down to is Jonah didn't want to go. He got, the reason he got swallowed up by the whale that you, that, you, know, you might remember from Sunday school is uh, he, didn't, he didn't think that they were worthy of it. He didn't want to do it. Um, and that's, that's to, it's pretty evident that that is indicative of his own personal prejudice. Um, so we see that in the Bible. We see an example of personal prejudice and how that plays out. Um, and, I mean, thank, thank, thank goodness God steps in and he still uh, brings the Ninevites to repentance in spite of Jonah's hardness of heart. Jonah kind of like is like half-baked after he, he gets spit out by the whale. But um, a, a, more, like a more relevant example to, uh, our, to our context, to America, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people will think of something like, oh, they'll use the excuse of I'm not racist because I'm not part of the KKK or something like that, right? And the KKK obviously represents a lot of terrible things, <laughs> um, you know, more than we have time to go into. But there's, it's, it's fundamentally based on this misguided, distorted sense of superiority, literally, at, 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 the, at the racial, ethnic, cultural, you know, individual levels. Um, it's, it's informed by, it, it's, it's ill-informed, I should say. Um, it, it is based out of ignorance. It's based out of human hatred um, and human pride. And so um, I, I doubt most of us in this room can personally relate with that. Um, I, I would hope not. Um, you know, God is good, but, you know, I would hope not. Um, and then w- another facet of sin that we see, sin is ig- amplified over generations. Um, and I think a biblical example is when you look at the relationship that God's people, the Jews, had with uh, the Gentiles. And in the Bible, Gentiles is just this broad category for everyone that's not the Jews, which is, you know, a lot more people, really. Um, and so, you know, we see by the time we get to the story of Christ and his life on earth, there's already been a history with a lot of these Gentile nations. And by and large, it's pretty negative. Um, there's not a lot of allies. It's a lot more kind of enemies. Um, and really, the pe- like the Jesus' disciples and, and the Pharisees around him, a lot of them, their, their prejudices were built upon not just their own individual um, uh, sin in their life, but kind of the history that was there and how um, ignorance and, and hatred had accumulated through generations, you know, stories about they did this to us, you know, they're terrible because of these things. Um, and and a, an American parallel to that is, in a way, um, the, I guess, you, like, the best way I can describe it is just the, mis- the unfortunate condition of the, the general black American community and how much deprivation there is there. Um, and that's largely a product not of a lack of hard work or a lack of character. That is largely a product of prejudice that has carried down over time um, and how it starts, you know, when you think about historically, um, most, of, most black Americans ha- can trace their lineage to um, slavery and after emancipation when slaves were freed, what, what did they have? They weren't given anything. They were just kind of like here. And so a lot of them ended up doing sharecropping, which was in a lot of ways just a reiteration of slavery where they had very little independence and very little profit. They couldn't build up, um, you know, uh, assets for their, their descendants, right? Um, and on top of that, the prejudice that still existed within people and within society prevented um, black Americans from getting loans to buy homes, from, get, yeah, from even being, a, yeah, uh, from, from getting loans and from, um, what is it we have here? Uh, and, yeah, zoning. There was, you know, different, like, uh, like uh, what do you call it, zoning policies that, that was literally writing out people. It's like, if people of color cannot move in here, right? And so these sins, over time, have been huge contributors to what we see now with the ghettoization of the inner city and things like that. Um, so that's, that's a second facet of sin, how over generations it, it amplifies itself. And then we see sin at a systemic level within institutions, within places and people of power. Um, and and this, is, this is a part where a lot of people don't see eye to eye. And I, I think I understand somewhat why. Um, but I, I think what, needless to say, at a, at a very essential level, if you believe that every human is capable of sin, then it shouldn't be that hard to believe that a group of people, um, with power especially, are capable of a great, more damaging amount of sin. 
um, it's not necessarily greater in the eyes of God. You know, in, so, in certain respects, all sin is equal, to God, is, is equal in God's eyes. But the way we experience it here on earth until God brings his, his new, new heaven and new earth, that a group of people is much more capable um, of much greater damage. And so, um, you know, a biblical example of this is the Pharisees. The Pharisees, uh, at, in the time of Jesus, they were the legal, the moral, and the, in, in a lot of senses, the political authorities of the day. They, they held so much capital in their society. And basically what they would do, amongst other things, I mean, they, were, they, were, uh, they did good things. So they're not just purely evil people. But amongst the, the less savory things that they did, um, they, would, uh, they would essentially use their power to persecute those who were unlike them. Uh, when, and that comes down to, you know, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, um, the, the, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, right? People that weren't God's people. Um, and so, uh, you know, an American example of this, we actually have a sl- some slides now um, of an institution that has power, people, a group of people with power and what that can do. Um, how, how inequality at those individual levels can synthesize and create something much worse. So if we're going to pull up, can we pull up the first graphic? Um, okay, actually, can we go to the, the, the other one? Okay, so this is the first graphic I, I intended. Um, basically, what this, what this infographic says, and it's based off of, you can see the sources, National Survey on Drug Use and Health, um, the FBI Uniform Crime Reports. This is percentage of the white and black American populations that use drugs, self-reported. Right? And then drug-related arrests per capita. So also, like, uh, yeah, just basically like uh, the, the rate of, of arrests. And, I mean, you can see the numerical discrepancy. I don't have to, uh, uh, just for people that may not be here but maybe listening to this later. 332 per 100,000 white Americans get arrested related to drugs. 879 black Americans get arrested, per 100,000 get ar- arrested related to drugs. Again, there's... I'm, sh- I'm sure multiple factors in play here. It's not just one thing. But um, that, th- there's, a, there's an evident discrepancy here. There has to be some understanding of where this discrepancy may be coming from. And then we're going to go to the next slide, uh, the previous one, I guess. And so, and again, this, is, this can be, I mean, it's tragic. Um, this is a look at the, U- so what pers- the, first, the first bar up there, the U.S. population, that's percentages of the population made up by these groups. So, um, and then you see the second bar, all people killed by police. So 31% of the people killed by police are black, even though black Americans only make up 13% of the whole population. Go further down, people killed by policing while not attacking, 39% of black Americans. There's something wrong here. There's something in the people, uh, the, the, the people and or the system that is not, that is not just, right? And so... I, I want to I preface this because this is a very sensitive topic. Um, this is not to say that all policemen are bad. This is not to say that, you know, the cops are pigs and all these things, right? Um, cops are, cops, um, by and large, I'd like to think that they're, you know, good, good men and women who have a desire to see justice put out. But human sin exists, so there's going to be cops who have prejudices regarding race, and they're going to, that prejudice is going to change the way that they do their job. Um, and on top of that, when you think about the history of our country and the history of, you know, the makeup of policing, and I don't have a source for this, but, or like, I can't remember the source it was. It was like a podcast, but I remember hearing someone saying that police forces in America, in the South, were, were kind of drummed up after emancipation to kind of regulate the black population. Um, that was the motive. So if, if that tells you anything about kind of at least some of the lineage behind American policing. Again, I'm sure, like, if people have, you know, family that are policemen, I'm not, I'm not making any claim against them at all. Um, I'm just saying what, what, what is clear is when people have power, their sin can be that much worse. It can affect people that much worse. It can affect their community and their country. Um, and so this is sin. Like, all the things that we've covered, this is sin. At the individual level, at the generational level, at the systemic level, it's not, it's not pretty. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know, every, of course, I don't know everyone's background here in terms of what they've read about or heard about sin and, you know, what it looks like today, um, but this, this should be something that, that, that grieves us. We should see that there's something that's fundamentally wrong here, but thankfully, this passage, the, the Second Corinthians passage that we covered speaks to this, 
So now we're going to hit what is the kind of the second element of this passage. And it's really, how has God dealt with sin? And so but in both verse 18 and 19, we, we see very kind of like concise statements to this. Verse 18, um, all this is from God, who through Christ God was reconciled, uh, sorry, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Um, so this word reconciling, it's, it's a reconciled, it's come, it's come, it's come, comes up several times in this passage, so I think it's worth defining because there's a lot of maybe assumed definitions to this, but I think we can derive a biblical definition that's really helpful when it comes to addressing these sorts of topics. And so um, we look, uh, I looked up where Merriam-Webster, verb reconcile, to restore to friendship or harmony. Um, and then as a like, sub-definition, reconciliation is either the act of reconciling or the state of being reconciled. And so what this definition implies is that there, there was a previously sound and harmonious relationship in which a fracture occurred, an offense or offenses by one or all parties involved. Um, and so uh, I think what we can see is that reconciliation between two entities can only be attained through cooperation because of this idea of restoration to friendship or harmony. Uh, last week, we've, we've been, this is the third in a, in a four-week series on uh, social responsibilities. Last week, our, our guest preacher, Andrew from Neartown Church, he preached on loving the abuser, and a big part of that was forgiveness. Um, and there, and I, what, as I've been studying this, I've realized there's a very s- significant difference between pure forgiveness and then reconciliation, even though we might think of the two as one and the same. Um, and, and he alluded to this m- in much greater depth, so it's worth maybe uh, listening to his sermon as well. But true forgiveness doesn't require, uh, doesn't re- sorry, true forgiveness by the wronged party does not require repentance by the wrongdoer. Um, I, I, that's, that's an ideal situation, but forgiveness is in, a, in one sense, for the person wronged, it's a one, one-way thing. Uh, their forgiveness is extended regardless of repentance by the wrongdoer. Um, whereas reconciliation is the offering of forgiveness and or repentance by all parties involved, um, and then a uh, kind of a commitment to one another in light of that repentance and forgiveness. Um, so obviously it's clear that forgiveness is a part of, of reconciliation, but it is not all of it. Um, forgiveness is critical uh, because forgiveness, uh, as, as the passage says, um, where is it, verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God did not, even though he had a right as the one who has been violated, he did not hold the sin of humanity against, against us. Um, and so he extended forgiveness um, even though we did not deserve it, even though, or because, and because the sin had been paid for through his son, which we're going to get to a little bit more later. Um, and I think what's, yeah, um, and even more so for, like, for Christians, you know, more so than uh, n- non-Christians, in a way, we, we can often end up being um, abusers to God. We, we know that his, lo- his love is unconditional to us, and we, still, we are s- still capable of doing things that grieve him and that hurt him and his people and, and ourselves. Um, and it, it's really the, the power of God's love in the eternal unconditionality that um, is... Just so, uh, I guess, it makes the forgiveness of God the thing that, that is the crux of this faith. Um, uh, and then looking into repentance, right? A, a genuine repentant heart is one that accepts, that accepts all, the, all the blame that they're responsible for. Um, you know, all, all the things that, that are they're, they're doing. Um, and repentance is something that we see God values. Uh, in Isaiah 57, uh, verse 15, it should be pulled up there. You don't have to turn to it. Um, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Um, and so I think what we see here is that God dwells with those who have this repentant heart. The reconciliation is made complete. The reconciliation that God has initiated, that he is responsible for, it's made complete for any one person as they are repentant before him, repentant by, by his grace. Um, 
And I think kind of one last thing about reconciliation, there's this forgiveness aspect, there's a repentance aspect, and then there's this renewal aspect. The back, going back to the definition, it's to restore to friendship or harmony. And so it's not just saying, okay, this was done wrong, we are sorry for these things, we're moving on. It's this was done wrong, we're sorry for these things, let us, let us be back together once more. Let us live in unity, uh, let us live for one another. Um, and so what's also great about this passage is it, it explains how God achieved this reconciliation. Um, and it's through Christ. It's through Christ. Again, verses 18 and 19 make it very clear. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Um, and just and really, you know, there's, there's been countless sermons preached on this, on this one topic of this is really the centrality of the Christian faith. Um, and just, I just want to make a short note of it since, you know, you could spend so much time on it. But um, most people in religions outside of Christianity, they'll acknowledge that Jesus was, um, you know, a, a very wise man, a very moral man, maybe divine, like maybe with some sort of divine connection. But the primary difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other religion, is that Christians trust that Jesus is the only way to resume fellowship with God. Um, and we see just one, one common scripture that kind of evidences this is uh, John 14. Jesus is, is spending his, kind of his last hours with his disciples. Um, and Jesus said, it's John 14, 6, says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and so, again, this is only through Christ that the reconciling work of a sinful humanity to a holy and perfect God is possible. It's through the, through the Son of God. Um, and what's, I guess, as we, maybe this is kind of where we're taking a turn in terms of kind of like the hope we, or the hope we have or kind of building upon that. Um, not only are we saved through Christ, but we're made one in Christ. Um, and uh, there's two passages and one metaphor that I really love that's in, that we find in the Bible. It's, it's referring to all Christians as being members of the, the body of Christ, proper noun, the body of Christ. Um, and we first see it alluded to in Romans 12, uh, verses 4 to 5. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He's referring to the human body right here. So we, Christians though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So he's referencing the, the actual like workings of a human body and paralleling what it means to be God's people as being one body. And 1 Corinthians 12 is where we really see this fleshed out more. Um, and so we're going to read that real quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12, it'll also be up here. Uh, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Um, so I think looking at these passages... The, the fundamental takeaway that's consistent between them, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> oh. um, the fundamental takeaway, each member of the body has a distinct identity and purpose, and each is equally valuable as the next. There's no part that is more important than the other. And there is, a, again, a distinct identity and purpose to each member. No one, no two are alike, in fact. And so, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I remember there's, <laughs> it's funny because I'll make a point about this later, but there's one sermon I remember where the pastor made this point that has been so influential to the way I see life on earth now is that there's a huge difference between unity and uniformity. It's clear here that by these passages, God desires us to be unified, but 
it's also clear, equally clear, that he does not expect us to all be 100% alike to one another. Um, and the hard thing is uniformity is in a lot of ways the easier route to go um, because that says, oh, we can, we can do the least amount of work and you know, put in the least amount of effort if we're all just the same person and we all have the exact same needs and we're all talented at the same thing. Um, you know, this is, this, is, this is where my tension as growing up with, with my you know, all the teasing that I faced, uh, that, that's, this, is, this is a perfect example of it, that uniformity would have been the easy way out, right? But if I had just magically, if God had just, you know, decided to make me a white American man, right, that would have deprived me of so much experience I've had as someone who is a minority, someone who does not, is not represented by most of the people around them, someone who doesn't have the same experiences. Um, and um, if, <laughs> this, this might seem like trivial and silly, but you know, imagine like taking the, the body metaphor, the human body metaphor, imagine if like we all were a bunch of arms, like in a ball, like attached you know, to like one central point. It's like, it'd just be useless and it'd be ugly. <laughs> and so thankfully, that's not what God wants. God wants us to be a whole body. That is, that is harmonious, it, it is fully functioning. Um, and he even says, as, as we live in that unity, that diverse unity, that harmonious unity, that's where our greatest thriving happens. That's where his greatest glory is found. Um, and so, um, you know, this, in, in a lot of ways, this, this existence that God wants his people to be in, that he invites every person on earth to be in, um, it, is, it is a shadow, it is a shadow of what is to come. Um, and it's, it, it's also a, a reflection of what was, what was before the fall, how in, in the Garden of Eden, it was a paradise, and everything was at peace and at, at, at harmony with itself, um, but of course, sin steps in, right? But we see in Scripture, like in God's Word, that he has a very specific vision of this diverse unity, um, and so first, we're actually going to go to Revelation 21, uh, verses 3 to 4. Um, I'm going to read that. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Uh, so what we see in this passage, we see that God is reunited with, we are reunited with God. Um, and that he will wipe every tear away, and death shall be no more, no more mourning, no crying, no pain. All the symptoms, all the effects of our sin, they're absent because sin itself has been conquered. Sin itself is absent. It is powerless. Um, and nothing stands between us and God. Nothing stands between us and one another. That's why, um, as we see actually in this next passage, we see the type of unity that we see. So it's Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And so two beautiful things about this, the unity I mentioned, right? They all cried out with a loud voice. It's, it's saying a singular voice. I'm imagining billions, maybe trillions, you know, like, I, I don't know, right? The, the, whatever number will exist in this new heaven and new earth that God is, is going to bring, everyone, regardless of their language, regardless of the color of their skin, they will have a unified voice, but they are still who they are, who God made them to be. They're they are actually the fullness of what God intended them to be, and yet they are still different from one another. Um, and the second beautiful thing about this passage um, is that we... Actually, sorry, I think, I think I covered it already. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so like what we see here um, through this second element of this, this passage is that um, you know, God has reconciled us through his son. We are unified in his son. We are unified, not uniform. Um, and that that is a, a picture. It is a shadow of what we are to, what the promise is before us uh, for eternity. And I, I hope that, that sounds good to everyone else, this uni, uni, unity that exists, this unparalleled unity. Um, and so the final element of this passage, God gave us the message and ministry of reconciliation. And so at least con contextualized within this passage first and then just the whole narrative of the Bible, um, 
the message of reconciliation is this, that humanity um, can have a renewed, life-giving relationship with God um, through Christ. And this is the greatest tool we have. This is the greatest tool we have to, to be what, I'll, I'll, I'll be getting to this, but ambassadors, as, as um, the passage says. Um, and this, it, it is a promise of hope and joy and freedom, and I don't know who would not want those things. Um, I'd have a hard time thinking of someone who would say, I don't want, it, I don't want any part in that. Um, everyone, in some way, shape, or form, the life that they've lived, they crave to have hope and joy and freedom. And the message of, of the Bible, of, of God, the truth of God, is that that can only be fully found, fully found in, in him and through his son. Um, and on top of that, so the ministry then of reconciliation that is referred to in Second Corinthians, it's the proclaiming and the modeling and the inviting of people into the promises of the message of reconciliation. Um, and again, so verse 20 where it, it, like he, there's like kind of like the first half of like what has been done and why it's been done. And then starting at 20, it's like, therefore, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Um, so it, just thinking about the concept of ambassador why did, let's, let's try to think of why, why would the apostle Paul use the language of ambassador right um, and basically what are ambassadors Amb- you know the US ambassador to China or the Chinese ambassador to US or, you know, or any permutation right ambassadors are those living in a foreign land representing the interests and values of their nation um, and we see um, that God is calling his people to pursue all nations as his deepest interest and to exemplify, to manifest, to literally, as we live and breathe in our relationships, to manifest the message of reconciliation. That's what it means to be an ambassador with the ministry of recon- reconciliation. And, you know, I, maybe this is overly optimistic of me, but I do think that more and more, if we were to, in every aspect of our being, live out this message that so many more people who are far from God and are just desperate for something, they're desperate for purpose, they're desperate for joy, belonging, um, when they hear this message that God has made it possible for every group on earth to be united under one banner for one purpose, for the one creator, that that will be more than enough, more than enough when it comes to how we evangelize and our hope that we see people come to know God. Um, that is an invitation. Um, and the Great Commission, which is what I would like to call essentially the third greatest commandment in the Bible, the first, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And then as Jesus is ascending into heaven after he's died, resurrected, everyone's like, what just happened, right? Um, right before he leaves them, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and so that, it, 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 I don't think it could be more clear at that point, you know? That, that is God's desire. And what, I think what that also implies is that there is no such thing as a superior culture, ethnicity, um, all these things that, that fuel um, racism as we see it, right? Um, and what's also really interesting to note is that Religions at the time of Christ, they were very largely ethnocentric. It was from one, from one people for one people. There was some promise to, you know, some greater, greater existence. Um, but then Christ steps into the picture, and he, ha- I mean, it's clear that the, go- the gospel um, reflects a, a universal tone to it, that it is an invitation to all who hear um, and that should speak volumes about God's affections for us, you know? Um, I, it, yeah, yeah. That, that, should, that, should, that should be humbling, I think, that, that God loves his creatures so much, even though we have not really earned it. Um, and so, you know, um, it, I guess in closing, I just want to do a quick summary. Again, I apologize. Thank you for giving me grace. And, like, if I wasn't able to articulate things clearly, if things kind of seem discombobulated, but this is, this is the best summary I could come up with after, you know, very little sleep. Um, one, sin is the root cause of racism, which exists within individuals across generations and through human institutions. Um, 
Two, in an extraordinary and unmerited act, God has reconciled us. He's forgiven and restored us to himself through his son. Uh, Three, as one body, the body of Christ, God has reconciled us to one another in a way that shines hope for the world around us. And finally, four, doing the ministry of reconciliation means that we step in as proclaimers of good news and makers of reconciliation in every arena of life. Um, <laughs> uh, and again, I don't, I don't want to self-sabotage, and it seems kind of contradictory to a point I made earlier, but I, I think rarely does a single sermon change a life. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that, that might just be me. Um, I have terrible memory, so that definitely doesn't help at all. Um, but, you know, it, it, a sermon is only so helpful. Um, and if you look at our mission statement, especially for those who, you know, aren't familiar with us, maybe it's your first time, um, our mission statement is we commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. Um, and so, thankfully, the burden that, you know, we might all, you know, become more unified in this mission of, of being reconcilers is not on me. <laughs> it's on us. It's on us um, doing this together. There's so much more potential transformation that occurs as we walk through this together. And so that actually brings me to kind of like my final takeaways for everyone here. Um, I think the first is to pray. Prayer is, prayer is never a bad place to start. Start with you and God, um, and that's an opportunity to just ask God to show you things, to, to, to reveal your heart, to uncover the kind of the veils and the facades that exist because of our just day-to-day life and expose the things that make us biased and prejudiced and, and just ignorant of things. Um, and as, as God leads, as the Spirit leads and softens your heart and, and opens your mind, that's an opportunity to, to repent, to, to further that reconciliation like we've talked about. Um, and then the second task that I'm, re- that I, I'm really asking is that uh, we listen and we learn. There's a church network, or there's like a ministry network called Verge Network, and they compiled a, a relatively short like video series on racial justice in light of the gospel. It's all gospel-based. Um, and I think that is one of the most concise and um, kind of comprehensive resources that exists. Um, and I think it, it, what it does is it gives voice to a lot of perspectives that we, you, you may not have heard in your life. Um, I know I didn't have those perspectives until I came to Rice. So, you know, not everyone had the privilege that I had. So um, hopefully, you know, my, I really am asking if, if this is a conversation that you feel very unprepared for and you just want to hear more first, I really am asking that you do this homework. <laughs> I, I doubt you guys walked in expecting homework, but please. Um, and yeah, and then the final thing is engage with love. And so actually this Thursday, we're going to have here 6.30 um, in the evening this Thursday, uh, a listening forum. That's the, the title is still kind of, you know, the title's not that important. But it's, the, the point is, this is an opportunity for us as a community to not only our, ourselves, but even we can bring people around us, Christians or non-Christians, bring all the people around us um, to, to hear, to hear the things that we have not heard, to see the things that we have not seen. Because inevitably, so much of my prejudice was driven by my ignorance. I just did not know what I did not know. That is such a, <laughs> that, that phrase has been so relevant to my life, you know, in the last few years. Like, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so, listening to one another is one of the best ways to know. To know and to be changed, to be humbled, to be changed. Um, and it's, and the, the purpose of, this, of that space on Thursday is it's going to be safe and it's going to be honest. So, we, we are going to have grace for one another. We're going to let people express and process um, as they need. Uh, but yeah, uh, and if you can't make it, you know, I, I'm, I've been, I haven't really fleshed it out, but you know, I, I'm definitely hoping to um, do something more outside of like a Sunday sermon context, something more similar to what's going to happen on Thursday on a somewhat regular basis that we could continue conversation and not just let it kind of stop as soon as, you know, we leave here today. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I, I think just in closing, um, this message of reconciliation the message of reconciliation that has been entrusted to us by God, our Father, our Creator. Um, it, is, it is timeless and it is relevant in so many places of our lives. And if, you fo- and if you do identify someone who follows Christ, you have the privilege, you have the blessing of knowing that message at its very core and sharing that message, bringing the hope and the joy and the freedom that comes with 
being a recipient, a beneficiary of this message. Um, I, I, I am of the firm belief that this is our one hope to see terrible things like racism, like the racism that was in my heart, to, 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 to go away. That as we pursue uh, God's purposes, that we would see, um, that we would start experiencing heaven and earth before we actually get there, the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll get to enjoy the fullness of God in that. Um, and, you know, uh, I mean, for if you're not a Christian in this room just by chance, like, you know, it may, a lot of this may seem like, well, this isn't relevant to me because I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't identify with this message. I don't identify with this, this whole idea. But I, I hope that you hear that this message is an invitation to you. That, like I've been saying, I, I have, I'm sure everyone who does follow Christ in this room can attest that the, the type of freedom and, and joy that you find in, rela- in restored relationship with God, the one that we were meant to, the one that we were designed for, um, that is where our, our existence, the, the, the very purpose of our, our being um, is, is, is fulfilled. And so this, that's just my invitation to you. Um, and I'm going to leave it at that. So I'm just going to pray now. Um, yeah. God, Your, your love for us is, is obscene in a way, God, that you would care for us, that you would pursue us, that you would remake us when we have done anything but earn it, God. Um, I'm just so grateful that uh, you saw me. You saw me in just in all my twistedness, God, and all my selfishness. Um, and that you made a way to know you, to be restored to you. And even more so, God, I just, I thank you that your message of reconciliation is the hope of the world in every way. Um, That with just the evil that exists through racism, God, that um, your message of reconciliation speaks into that and provides a a hope, a a hope that is unbreakable, God. Um, I pray that you would, um, that as you've been working now, God, and, and up to this point, I pray that you would continue to just bring conviction um, and just a greater desire to, to pursue you and your purposes, God, um, that we might reflect the, the diverse unity that you've designed, God. Um, so I just thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for, for teaching in spite, of, in spite of all my imperfections, God. Uh, just pray all these things in the name of your son. Amen.